0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. When I was uh, growing up, we spent a lot of summers in Central Florida. My aunt and uncle lived out there and... Central Florida in the summertime is really, really hot. Fortunately, my aunt and uncle had a swimming pool, which is an amazing thing to happen to a guy who's from the Bay Area, to be out in the middle of the sun, and there's a swimming pool. Well, one day, we're walking around the pool, and no one is planning on swimming that day, or at least yet, and we're walking around the pool, and my cousin Sherry is also walking around the pool. And believe it or not, when I was a child, I was a bit mischief, mis, mischievous, a bit mischievous <laughs> as a child, just as a child. And as I was uh, watching her walk precariously close to the edge of the pool, a brilliant flash came into my mind. And I was going to just gently and subtly, and so that it looked as if it was an accident, nudge her into the pool. So I made my way over to her, there she was, standing by the pool, and I slowly started to turn my body to nudge her in and she moved. Well, if you know anything about physics, when there is no force to resist you, you keep going. So when I went to nudge her into the pool and she wasn't there to be nudged, I ended up in the pool. It's what we refer to as poetic justice. Poetic justice is where you get the right punishment for the thing that you did, whatever wrong it was that you did. Today, we are going to be talking about poetic injustice, which if poetic justice is getting what you deserve, then poetic injustice is getting what you don't deserve. It's getting and having things come to you that you didn't do anything to receive, and yet you received it. And one of the biggest problems that people have with putting their faith and trust in God is trying to reconcile a loving God, an all-powerful God, with a world that is full of pain and suffering. See, the argument goes like this. If God is good, and if God is just, why would He allow pain and suffering to exist in the world? Why would He allow it? And for many Christians, no, for many people who grew up as Christians, or who had some experience in being a Christian, for many of those who stepped away from Christianity, it wasn't necessarily that they were stepping into atheism, that there was something about atheism that, that connected with them. But for many people, the reason they stepped away is they just couldn't reconcile this whole idea of a loving God with the pain and suffering that they experience or that they have seen in the world. And one thing that you have to keep in mind is this, is that this understanding of, of being unable to reconcile the pain and suffering in the world and, and, and a just and loving God is really something that is unique to North America, to Canada, to Western Europe. It really is something that is more of a first world problem. Because for any of you who have been outside of the country, if you've ever been on a mission trip, or if you've ever visited a place where there is a lot of poverty, and there's a lot of people who are are experiencing pain and suffering, one of the things that you probably have seen is, is that in the midst of extraordinary poverty, you often find extraordinary faith in God. So the argument goes like this. If he's good, he would. If he could, he would. If he's good, that is, if God is a good God, if God is a just God, then he would look out at all of the pain and suffering in the world and he would do something about it. Or if he could, if God is really Almighty God, if God had the power to do anything, then he would look out into the world and see all of the pain and suffering in the world, and he would do something about it. If he's good, he would. If he could, he would. And yet, we see that he doesn't. And so if that's the case, if he's good, he would, if he could, he would, but we don't see it, our logical conclusion is either he can't or he won't. If he can't do it, if he doesn't have the power to do anything about the pain and suffering in the world, then he's not really God, right? And if he won't do it, if he has the ability to end pain and suffering, but he decides not to do it, then even if he is God, he is certainly not a good and just God. So if he can't or he won't, then we just want to dismiss God. In fact, for many people, if we look at the world and we say that he can't or that he won't, well, our conclusion, the easiest conclusion for us is is that there is no God. There can't be a God. Now, we're going to get into that today, but before we get started, there's one thing that I want to warn you about, and that is this. Do not make the mistake of hijacking other people's pain to build your case against God. See, this is the biggest problem that the new atheists have. Their biggest problem is this, is they look out at all of the pain and suffering in the world and they say, if you talk to all those people and you see the pain and the suffering that's happening, you have to come to the conclusion that there is no God. Otherwise, why would there be pain and suffering if there was a God? The problem with this is that you can't make that conclusion because you haven't talked to all of those people who are experiencing that pain and suffering. So when you take their pain and suffering and you draw a conclusion about God based on their pain and suffering, you're basically telling them that you don't care what their thoughts are, you don't care how their life is being affected, you're going to use their pain and suffering to make your argument for God. Now, if you've personally experienced pain and suffering and you want to use that as your argument for or against the existence of God, then go ahead. But to use somebody else's pain and suffering is not fair for them. And it's not fair for God. Because the reality is, is that extraordinary suffering, suffering often leads to extraordinary confidence in God. There are many, many people in the world who have focused in their faith and trust in God, not In spite of their pain and suffering but because of the pain and suffering that they have experienced in their life and pain and suffering that happens what we're going to talk about today that injustice in the world and the pain and suffering that we see around the world is not an argument against the existence of God in fact pain and suffering in the world is not an argument for the existence of anything if anything The pain and suffering that we see in the world is a reminder that we need God. And so arguing that because of pain and suffering, that that is a reason that we shouldn't believe that there is a God. Listen, there there are some of you here, some of you who are listening to us online today, some of you who know people, who have come to the conclusion that there can't possibly be a God because of the pain and suffering that they have experienced in their life. But while that argument is very powerful, and while that argument is very understandable, that argument is not a rational argument. It's not a logical argument. That simply because of the existence of pain and suffering, that it means that there is no God. There is no rational argument against the existence of the God of Jesus. Now, if you weren't here last week when we were talking about that, you need to go online and listen to last week's message, because we're not talking about some of the gods that many of us grew up with, but we're talking about the God that Jesus talked to us about. There's no rational argument against the existence of the God of Jesus based on the injustice in the world. And yet this is the primary reason that people step away from faith, that people step away from Christianity is because they can't reconcile the two. The thing is, is that Christians have never made an argument for God's existence based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. At no time has any Christian ever said that there must be a God because there is a good God and only good things happen to good people, so that's why there's a God. You have never heard that argument from any Christian for a reason why there is a God. There's, There's never been that argument. And yet, when we look at the world, we can't help but ask the question, if there is a God, then why doesn't he just eradicate injustice? right? And if he is God and he can eradicate injustice but he doesn't then what kind of god is he what does that leave us with other than a god who looks at all of the pain and suffering in the world and says i don't care that's what we're left with but i want you to i want to specifically take on that assumption because Injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, but not the existence of God. Are you with me? Yes. It calls into, a, the, into question whether or not God is just, but it doesn't call into question whether or not he exists, right? It doesn't, it, doesn't make us, it doesn't make us have any argument. I mean, it makes more sense when we look at the injustice in the world. It makes more sense for us to be angry at God. Or for us to be disappointed in God. But there is nothing about the pain and suffering in the world that should lead us to believe that there is no God. And what's happening is, is there's two things at play that are related to each other, but they're not dependent on each other. And those two things are the question of God's existence and the reality of our experience. The question of God's existence and the reality of our experience. Now, from a Christian worldview, from a Christian worldview, this is what we believe. There is something that exists today. Everything all around us is something. Something came from nothing. In order for nothing to come, for something to come from nothing, there has to be a necessary first cause. Something that caused something to appear out of nothing. As Christians, we believe that that necessary first cause is God. That out of the nothing, God created something. And because God created nature and all of the natural laws, then what we believe is, is that in order for Him to have been the one to create it, that he has to be above or not limited by nature and and the natural laws. We would, we would say that it, it is above nature or, or super nature, supernatural, right? That God has to, by, by necessity, he has to be above that. He has to be greater than that. And so when Jesus came and he started doing miracles, when he started doing miracles that that defied natural law, people looked at what he was doing and they started to say, hey, you know what? There's something godlike about what Jesus is doing. And then when he predicted his death and then he rose from that death, then people began to understand that they could trust what Jesus says and they could trust what Jesus had to say about God so Christians believe that everything was created by God and we believe that Jesus represented God and that Jesus talked to us and told us what we should believe about God and because Jesus said what he was going to do and predicted his death and predicted his resurrection and historical records tell us that that is exactly what people saw him do that we can trust what he has to say. And that has nothing to do with our personal experiences, and it has nothing to do with the pain and suffering in the world. Are you with me? Our reason for believing in God is completely independent and separate from whether or not pain and suffering exists in the world. If there is pain and suffering in the world, it shouldn't make us question God's existence. It should make us question his justice. It would be like this. It would be if my son or my daughter came to you one day, and I hope that they haven't, but maybe they did. Maybe they came to you one day and they said they started talking about me, and they told you how unfair I was. And how unjust I was. And how I made them vacuum the carpet all the time. And how I never let them do anything fun. And, and every time they wanted to get boba, I gave them gruel or oatmeal or something, you know, like that. I mean, they, if they complained to you what an awful father I was. That I was never there for them. That I was never around. That when they asked me for things or asked me to protect them or keep them safe, that I wasn't there. You wouldn't conclude that I don't exist. Right? You would conclude that I was a bad father. You would say that I am a horrible father, but the fact that I have children that are complaining to you means that I exist. And this is the same argument that we have with God. If there is injustice in the world, then we should be upset at God for the injustice that's in the world. But we shouldn't question whether or not God exists. And there are many of you here today who get this. See, many of you who are sitting here today, or if you might be listening to us online, many of you have somebody in your life that is dead to you. Right? There is someone in your life that you used to be friends with, or maybe you were relatives with, and you had fun, and you talked, and everything was great, and then something happened, and all of a sudden, you and that friend, just, that's it, you're done. No more forgiveness, no more talking to them, you just don't want to talk to them, don't want to see them anymore. Or your relative, or your brother or sister, whoever it is in your life, there is somebody in your life. Now, you act as if they don't exist. In fact, you wish that they didn't exist. And you see them in the periphery of your life, right? You know in the back of your mind that they didn't just disappear. You know that they're there because you see them in in pictures on Facebook, (laughs) right? But to you, you would rather pretend that they don't exist than have to deal with the difficulty of having them in your life. Many people who have stepped away from faith, who didn't do it because they had this scientific discovery in their head, and they said, hmm, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to be an atheist. Many people have stepped away from faith because that's what they thought about God. And one day, it wasn't that they didn't really believe that he existed. It's just that they decided that if I don't need God, and it seems like God doesn't need me, then I might as well pretend that God doesn't exist. I might as well pretend He doesn't exist. So, why is it, why do we assume that if there is a God, that He must be good and that He must be just? Right? Why, why do we assume that if God exists, if there is a God, that that God has to be good and has to be just. Why why do we automatically assume that? The reason that we assume that is because someone told us that. For many of you, for many of us who grew up in Christian homes, we were taught it at a very, very young age. And we were taught it at every meal we ate. Because what did we say? God is great... God is good. Let us thank him for our food. (laughs) Come on. You know you all did that. Good food. No, that doesn't make sense. Let us thank him for our food. Right? From childhood, this is what we were taught. God is great. He has power to do anything. And God is good. That's why we believe that, because someone told us that God is great and God is good. But, doing, but if we believe that, it operates under two assumptions. It's that we know what God is like. We assume that we know what God is like and that we know what is just and what is good. But who told us that? Who told us what is just in the world? Who told us what is good in the world? I mean, where did we come to that conclusion? What we inside us understand as what is being good and just, where did we get that from? We didn't get it from nature, because nature is not good, and nature is definitely not just. We didn't get it from the ancient gods, The ancient gods were actually a reason that people came up with because of suffering. The ancient gods were how people explained suffering. They said, there look at all these people that are suffering in the world. There's a famine? It's because a god is angry. Right? There's a disaster? It's because a god is angry. So it wasn't from the ancient gods. Even many of our current religions they don't operate out of that mindset. The ancient Jews believed that God loved them. In fact, many Jews believe that. That God loves the Jewish people, and He basically tolerates everybody else. In Islam, they believe that whatever happens, happens because it's God's will. Something good happens, it's God's will. Something bad happens, it's God's will. In um, In Buddhism, they don't really teach that there is a God. In Hinduism, they teach that this life affects your future life, and so there's really no relation there. So how did we come about, and this is, again, usually and mostly we who live in Western society, how did we come about this idea of God being fair and good and just? Do you know where it came from? The justice and dignity for all version of God was introduced into society by Jesus. Up until Jesus came, no one believed in a good and just God. It wasn't until Jesus came that, that, it, that we started to form this understanding of a God who was committed to justice and goodness in the world. Our entire Western uh, American understanding of God and God's goodness comes, whether you're a Christian or not, it comes from the New Testament. And if you believe what the New Testament has to say, if you believe that God is love and that God loves everybody, and, 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 and even if you, you're one of those people who, who doesn't want anything to do with church, doesn't want anything to do with religion, You just have this this belief in you that God is love and, and God loves everybody and God is a good God. The place that you got that from is from Christianity and from the writings of the early Christian followers of Jesus. That was not some random thought that just appeared in history. It came because of Jesus. Towards the end of his life, there was a guy named John. He was a, he was a great friend of Jesus. He was, he was with Jesus for his entire earthly ministry, for the three years that Jesus was, was involved heavily in, in ministering to people. And John, towards the end of his life, he, he paused, and he was, he was writing about the things that he had learned listening to Jesus and the things that he observed as he watched Jesus. And he, and he started to write write what he thought about God based on what Jesus told him and based on what he observed. And so he started and he wrote this. And this is in First uh, John 4. He writes this. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Now, listen, 2,000 years later, here in 2018, we read this and we think to ourselves, yeah, that makes sense. Right? Let's love one another. This is what we're supposed to do. It's what we do. That's what we do in this culture because of these words that were written. But in that culture, loving one another was not a common thing for people to do. In the culture that John was talking to, it was every man for himself, it was every family for themselves. So when he says, let us continue to love one another, he's not just saying, hey, let's continue to la-di-da-di-da, go on what we're already doing. He's saying, listen, I know it is a sacrifice for us to come together and say that as a community, we are going to love each other. And so as I'm writing this, as John is writing this, he says, let us continue to love one another. And then he says, for, because love comes from God. See, love isn't something that just appears out of nowhere. Love isn't something that is innate in us. Listen, some of you believe that love is something that is naturally inside you. It is not. The love that you feel towards your family, your friends, the people that you care about, is God's thumbprint in you. Because love comes from God. And then he says this, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you were raised being told that God is love, it wasn't something that just came out of nowhere. It wasn't because of something that formed in your head. It wasn't because of something that formed in the head of the person who told you that. It is because these words of John has filtered through our culture over the last 2,000 years and sitting here today, we recognize what he wrote. God is love. God is love. And our concept of fairness and justice, our concept of each human being having an intrinsic value, that there is something in us that has dignity and worth that is in us. All of that comes from this statement that God is love. And it's not natural. It is not natural for us to love one another because nature does not love and nature is not fair. And nature is not just. And nature doesn't care about your dignity. There was a a physicist and a cosmo... Not a cosmologist. Cosmetologist? No, that's the other one. A cosmologist. Yes, that's it. Cosmologist. You might have heard of him. He's really famous. His name was Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking passed away a few weeks or a few months ago from ALS. He is one of the most brilliant minds of our time and he was a firm believer in in nature and in natural selection and Stephen Hawking wrote this he said the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution now think about this this is a guy who believes in evolution this is a guy who firmly believes that there was a big bang that nothing, something came out of nothing, and we don't know what that was. But from there, everything happened, and here we are today. And he's saying that the terror that stalks his mind is that we have arrived on the scene. We are here where we are today because of evolution. Now, why would Stephen Hawking, Somebody who firmly believed in evolution, who firmly believed in nature and natural selection. Why would he say this? He says, because of naturalistic selection. And natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. We have arrived here today because of our aggression. And then he says this, our only hope for mankind, the only hope for mankind is that we are able to move to other planets in our galaxy and split up. Because if we don't split up, we will eventually annihilate ourselves. Now think about what he's saying. He is saying that eventually we are going to destroy each other. And it's not going to be because of nuclear war. It's not gonna be because of some great plague or epidemic. He's saying that if natural selection is all there is, that the only way for us to survive is for groups of us to get on ships and to go and start colonies on different planets all over the galaxy. Because if we stay on this planet together, we will eventually kill each other off. Because that is the end result Of natural selection see he's played the movie to the end and what he's saying is is if this is the reason that we are all here today then no matter what we do at the very end it's all going to be gone it's all going to end not because of something we've done not because of some big earthquake or flood that's going to come over and and destroy everything on the earth. Not because uh, a meteor is going to land on the earth and totally destroy everything. It's going to be because we are naturally aggressive and we'll eventually kill each other off. Now, the implication of what he's saying is incredible because if we turn it around, what he's basically saying is this. The best way to rid the world of injustice is to rid the world of God. The best way to rid the world of injustice is to rid the world of God. You know why? Because when you get rid of God, you get rid of injustice. When you get rid of God, you also get rid of justice. When you get rid of God, there's no sense of what's right and what's wrong anywhere anymore. The best way to rid the world of injustice is to rid the world of God because once there is no objective standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. If there's not something that we agree on that that is what justice is, then injustice can't be defined either. And so what are we left with? What are we left with? What is it that we that were left with? Because inside us, inside all of us, there is this nagging sense of, of what we know is right and wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, we look at the world, we watch the news, we look at our lives, we look at the people in our lives, and we have something in us that tells us that, that this is going right and this is going wrong. But if we got rid of God, then all of that would be gone. Our sense of right and wrong would be gone. Our sense of fairness would be gone. Our sense of justice would be gone. And all that we would be left with is nature. That's all that would be left. And nature doesn't care about justice. And nature doesn't care about what's good. And nature doesn't care about what's right. And so we would just be left to each other to decide what justice is. And the problem is, so we all have different ideas on what justice is, right? There's my justice, there's your justice, there's Nazi justice, there's ISIS justice, there's the majority rule justice, right? There was clan justice, there's nature justice, there's street justice, there's the justice of the rich, the justice of the powerful. If there is no objective mark, that determines what is just and what is good, then all of us are open to whatever we decide we want justice to be. And so when we reject God, we don't solve injustice in the world. All we do is we make injustice lose its meaning because there is no more God. So the next natural question for us to ask is, what does Jesus have to say about this? I mean, if Jesus represented God and Jesus came from God, then what did Jesus have to say about God and justice? Well, Jesus has a solution, and his solution starts with this. Jesus brought us God is love, and we like that, right? If we think about that, that God is love, that makes us feel good. I like that God is love. Because the people that love me in my life, they're very patient with me, and they give me things, and they do things for me, they massage my feet at night, right? I like that God. We all enjoy the God that is love. But here's the part that we don't like. Here is the part that makes many of us want to walk away. Here is the part that when we think about it, gets us that, that, that feeling right here. You know, that makes the, the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. And that is that there is no justice without judgment. And we don't like that. There is no justice without judgment. And when we hear that, we want to say no, right? And, and, and our culture tells us that, that we, we need to run away from that kind of thinking. That if God is judgmental, if God is bringing judgment, we don't want anything to do with that. So if God is judgmental, get away from there. That is not the kind of God that we want to have. Isn't that what culture tells us? The problem is, and Jesus is clear on this, is you can't have one without the other. You can't have justice without without judgment, right? You can't have someone say, we have to change something to make this right if we're not willing to have someone look at it and say, yes, that is right and that is wrong. You can't have justice without judgment. Do you know why we resist judgment The reason that we resist judgment is because inside you and inside me, we recognize and we know that we fall short. We know that we don't measure up. We know that, listen, there are things that God wants us to do and we can't do them. There are things that we know that we should be doing and we can't do them. And when we think about how we fail to measure up, we are scared because we don't want justice because we know that if we get justice, that that justice is going to come straight to us. And for Christians, this is where our hypocrisy comes in. Because we want justice for me. I mean, we want mercy for me. And justice for you, right? You want mercy for you, but justice for everybody else. So, anyone who has ever wronged you, anyone who has ever given you a bad look, called you a name, talked about you behind your back, stolen from you, hurt you, we want all of them to pay for what they did to us. But when we look at all of the things that we have done, we want mercy. And we want grace. And so when we think of that day that, 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 that culture tells us and that many of us have grown up believing that we're going to be standing in front of God and, and God's going to put on, 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 on super fast forward the video of our life and he's going to watch all of the things that we've done and all the places that we've messed up and all of the things that we shouldn't have been doing and all the places where we shouldn't have gone. And he's going to watch it all, and then he's going to look at us. And what we want is for him to look at us and say, yeah, but you get a pass today. Come on through. That's what we want. We want mercy from God. We fear judgment, but we only fear it when it comes for us. We don't fear judgment when it comes for somebody else. And this is what makes the message of the gospel so amazing. This is the reason that the message of the gospel was able to survive through the first, second, and third centuries in a a society and in a culture which had unimaginable injustice, and unimaginable pain and suffering, and unimaginable attacks on the people who all they did was say that they loved Jesus. That's what makes this so amazing. When God created the world, He gave us freedom. And then He looked down on us and saw the ridiculous things that we had done with this freedom that He gave us. And He saw that all of us, every single one of us, fell short. And he realized there has to be a judgment. And recognizing this, we naturally feel fear. When we recognize that judgment has to come, we feel fear. And then as we hear every Christmas, Jesus came and said, fear not. Fear not. You see, when we required judgment, God didn't send a judge. He sent a Savior. He sent a Savior. This is how John wrote it. And this is John, and he is is quoting Jesus now. He's telling the story of what Jesus said. And he says this. Jesus says, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. See, before bringing judgment to us, God provided a way out by sending His Son to pay the price for the judgment that we deserve. And this is amazing because if anyone had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, if anyone had a reason, It was Jesus. Jesus was killed by the people that he came to save. I mean, how ridiculous is that? If anyone had any reason to stop believing in God, it was Jesus. And if you reject the God of Jesus, then you reject the basis for justice. And then, if you reject the basis for justice, you reject the basis for fairness, you reject the basis that we have for basic human dignity. And all you're left with is biology. And biology doesn't care about justice. Biology doesn't care about dignity. Evil and injustice are not arguments against the existence of God. They are evidence that we need God's mercy and grace. We need God's mercy and grace. And that might be a bold statement to make, but think about this. If you care, if you genuinely care about justice, then whether you are a Christian or not, you should want Christianity to be true. Whether you are a Christian or not, if you want justice in the world, then you should hope that Christianity is true. Because it is faith and trust in Jesus who told us about a God that is love, that reminds us that in this world that we live in, that there are things that are right, but there are things that are wrong. It reminds us that things aren't how they are supposed to be. And you and I know that. Because when we see a tragedy in the world, when we see a shooting, when we see a disaster, when we see people dying or suffering, there is something in us that aches. And if you ever ache like that, and you get the feeling that something is wrong, that that this isn't how the world that you were created for is supposed to be, then you're not wrong. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, If I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were not created to live in a world that has unfairness and injustice. We were made for a different world. And the unfairness and the evil and the pain and the suffering in this world is a reminder to us that things aren't how they should be, but there is a Savior who is going to make things how they should be. Evil and injustice aren't reasons for us to doubt the existence of God. They are a reminder to us that we all need God. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.